millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Julie Gould. And this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. So welcome to part two of our series on funding. In the first episode, we heard from Elizabeth Pitt, whose research showed that a lot of the funding allocation within the National Institute of Health in the USA is down to luck. Now, understandably, this may be a little bit sad, given the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours that people spend on writing their grant applications. But whilst I was speaking to Elizabeth, she did give me a little clue as to how you can improve your chances of being one of the lucky ones. She told me that as part of her dissertation work, she looked at the strengths and weaknesses of grant proposals that are predictive of scores that are assigned. So using some text mining software, she analysed the written critiques of the reviewers. Now, it's restricted to biomedical sciences, but the lessons can be applied to all fields. The severity of the problem under study is often something that's pretty predictive. So uh, reviewers will identify if the problem that's being studied is something really deadly or severe or something that's fatal that uh, doesn't have a lot of um, research out there to support interventions or to support treatment. So I think really targeting, um, expressing how the problem that you're trying to tackle is a really important one is something that uh, reviewers talk about a lot. And um, having strong preliminary data was also really important. And I recognize uh, as a researcher myself the challenge of getting strong preliminary data without funding. Um, and so just as a strategy to think about smaller funding initiatives to obtain preliminary data that can be used for a larger grant like an R01 um, is pretty instrumental in, in uh, being able to show the, the, um, the viability of your ideas. This might seem like a lot to think about, but one way to minimise and organise that workload is to think ahead. Anne-Marie Coriat, the head of UK and Europe research landscape at Wellcome Trust, has the right advice. The bottom line is that it's never too early to start planning. So here we are, ready to start planning. Now, depending on what stage of your scientific career you're at, there might be a few different things you can do in preparation for applying for a grant. Depending where you are in your career stage, then there will be different forms of evidence that you can bring into bear to demonstrate your, uh, your capability, your experience, how you might fulfil that vision. But also, there are some absolute similarities, both in terms of how you make the arguments for the area of study that you're promoting, and also um, making sure that actually what you've got is a breadth of 
disciplinary support if you need that to tackle the problem. So can you just give me a bit of an idea of how you would advise someone to plan for their funding application to make sure that they have everything they need before they start writing and what are the things that they would need? If you're submitting an application, essentially, you probably need to leave nine, 12 months, I would have thought. Sometimes people advocate for longer um, before your submission because preparation is absolutely everything. Um, the great idea and the vision for it is, is one thing, but then it's critically important that what you do is understand the nuances of the different funders that you might be applying to. All funders have got very clear or reasonably clear guidance on what each uh, type of scheme involves and the sorts of things they're looking for. And understand the deadlines first um, and then work back from there. I would encourage individuals to think quite carefully about testing and scoping their ideas for their application with um, colleagues, with people who they may know who are not in their discipline. And then you're looking for all the usual things in relation to uh, is the experimental design robust, are the materials and consumables costed, have you got the right people, have you got the right collaborators, are you able to articulate what would go wrong in these experiments, what might go wrong, and if it does, how would you have a plan B? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Anne-Marie says that the different funding bodies all have different application schemes, and it's definitely worth reading the application guidelines for all the funding bodies that you want to apply to. But there are some similarities between the different funding documents, says Peter Gorsuch, who's the chief editor at the Nature Research Editing Service. Generally, what you would have is a funding document would be a um, you start off with a summary, and that is very heavily used, I think, by the by the panel. Uh, and then there'll be some kind of background information section, uh, which will set the context to your work. There might be a separate section for your own previous work, or there might not. There might be a se- separate section for preliminary work, which directly informs the, your project. Then the, the main bulk of the proposal would usually be a detailed explanation of what you're actually going to do. And uh, then usually it ends up with with funding uh, information about the funds you're requesting. Uh, And then also there are all kinds of other more administrative documents uh, like CVs, which are are actually part of the funding decision, I should clarify, uh, and other other details that the funding body needs. The summary is often very heavily used by the panel that is reviewing the application. So this clearly is a very, very important part of the funding application. So how would you suggest that people go about tackling that summary statement? That it needs to tell the uh, panel what the what the point is, what where it came from, why it's important, and then the, the main elements of, of what you're actually going to do. So it does need to be a distilled version of the main scientific argumentation that you put in the main project. It needs to be informative though. It can't just be, you know, it needs to be a summary, you can't give that much detail, but it does need to give the panel useful information about what you're actually doing and why you're actually doing it. 
obviously the the summary as you've said is a, a very important part of applying for funding because really what you're wanting to do is you want to tell the funding body the panel that's reviewing it why you are the best for this particular project why they should be giving you the money so Apart from using that summary statement, how else could people really make sure that they are clear about why they are the best? You're right, it's a very important part of the of the application as a whole. And in fact, it's one of the messages that you need the panel to get from your application is that not just, oh, this is a good idea, it's actually this person is a really good person to put this funding in to deliver this project. So in terms of how that's communicated, in the actual main document itself, there are quite a few different ways that it can be presented. Um, first of all, where you have previous publications that are relevant to this grant application, you've got to cite them. You've got also to say, we previously showed, or I previously showed, or um, in a collaboration with researchers from X institution, I was involved in a project that demonstrated. And it would be really clear, use phrasing to clearly say, this is my contribution to the field. Also, any preliminary work, usually grant um, schemes will expect you to, to explain what preliminary work leads up to the research. It's very important to be able to do that, to show that, that you had a contribution to a range of different work, which has um, led to the, to the proposed work. Another way of doing this is to make sure that, that the information you provide about yourself, so the CV, any, any supporting information like that, is also... Uh, tailored to the application, that you're um, including information which is relevant to, to the work that you've got planned uh, and that is also making a strong case that supports you being a suitable person to, to deliver the work. And that will give you the, the panel confidence that this, this um, proposal will succeed because they know that they're putting their trust in the right person. I've asked both Anne-Marie and Peter to give me their top bits of advice on how to plan for your funding application. Anne-Marie would encourage all people thinking about applications to make first point of contact with their grants office. Sometimes they're called research and enterprise offices, sometimes they're grant uh, support offices. But essentially there's an administrative team at the university which oversees all applications. And Peter's top bit of advice is the idea of presenting the, the, yourself as being the most, being appropriate person who can actually deliver this in practice. You've got the skills, you've got the experience uh, to, um, to succeed. I hope all of this advice is useful to you and I hope that this is going to encourage you to listen to our third episode of the series when we will hear from some more experts who can help us with funding applications. Now that's it for this section of our Working Scientist podcast. But now we have a slot sponsored by and featuring the work of the European Research Council. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. My name is Alex, Alex Martin Hobdy. I'm a head of unit at the European Research Council in Brussels, and I manage a unit that's in charge of receiving the applications from the scientists and organizing their evaluation, and later on, of course, the sending out of the results. Yes, I'm somebody who's worked in science. I, I studied physics, and then I did atomic physics, laser physics, applications of lasers. Fundamentally, I'm a physicist by training, 
But over the years, I've seen many, many other things in social science, in humanities, in life science. So it's, it's a, a way of widening your, your scientific background. And that's something that I like about where I work right now. I manage a unit within the, the ERC, and this unit organizes and coordinates the scientific evaluation of the applications that arrive. And it also, um, once the projects are funded, this unit organizes and coordinates the scientific follow-up to see what people are doing, how they're progressing, etc., etc. And so what my unit does is when the applications arrive, we take a look at them, we assign them to various panels, these panels are run by scientific officers in other units, and we set everything up, the evaluation proceeds, we monitor it, and when the evaluation is finished, we take back the results, communicate them to the scientists. Unfortunately, they're not always good results. We can end up funding about one in 10. So unfortunately, we have to send out in the end nearly 90% of not so, so good news. And typically we get 2,000 to 3,000 applications for each of the individual um, investigator type grants. That's the starting consolidator and in advanced. For Synergy, we get a bit less. We get more like 300. So we follow a two-step process in which the first step is to get the applications. And there's a first part, which is a five-page summary. So it's not incredibly long. And we send it to panels. We have 25 panels of what we call generalists which cover all areas of science, all areas of knowledge. That's one of the special things of the ERC is that we don't have predetermined topics. We find anything from science to engineering to social sciences, etc. So the first step is these top level scientists on the panels look at the proposals and they reduce them to about a third. They evaluate them all. They write written comments on them all and about a third go on to the second step. So the two thirds get a written review, they get comments back, the idea is to help the applicant to improve the project or for the applicant to understand why it didn't go on to step two. Um, so the panels are really the, one of the key aspects of our evaluation. The Scientific Council has defined 25 different panels. In some sense, the way they start is by defining panel chairs, and then around them, a group of people of uh, 12, 13, 14 top-level scientists in Europe, that all of them together will now cover the know-how that they need, at least as generalists, to start looking at these applications. And our Scientific Council are very high-level scientists who have the ability to attract top scientists to participate in our panels. I'm Maria Lipton. Um, I'm a research scientist uh, with a professorship in genetics at the University of Cologne. I also have a lab here at, in Heidelberg at the European Molecular Biology Labs. I was a member and then chair of the LS3, Life Sciences 3 panel for the advanced grants. And it's really a great pleasure to work on the panel for a number of reasons. A, the other scientists are fun. They're interesting. They're interesting colleagues and one spends two or three days with them. So that's always fun. But the main reason, of course, is that the research that is proposed is, is so interesting. It, it's hard work 
but I think most panel members really like doing this work. So if we look at how grantees are chosen, one has to remember the panel consists of about 12 people, and that panel gets some, depending on which panel it is, anywhere between 50 to 100-something applications. The applications are distributed among the panel members by area of expertise, and each initial application is read by several panel members, three or four or five. And then they are graded, and they're graded on a number of criteria. One is the researcher, and the other is the project itself. So the reason for judging the researcher is mainly to figure out whether the person who's proposed a bold, a daring, an innovative, and an interesting research proposal, somebody, somebody who's proposed such a project, to figure out whether they are likely to be in a position to do it. So one looks at the past of the researcher to see have they done bold and interesting and brave things before. But then the main concern, the main issue really is how interesting and how good is the proposal. So that's what's judged in the first round. The idea for the proposal, the originality of it, the feasibility as well, as far as one can tell from that part of the application. And then the grades are given, and based on these grades, the proposals are ranked. It's certainly not efficient sufficient to be a superstar scientist. In fact, our committee has had to reject many superstar scientists because what they wrote wasn't necessarily convincing, not sufficiently well thought through, or maybe not sufficiently well explained. That's the first step. It's very, very painful because one has to reject so many good applications. About a third of these proposals then go on to step two, which is where we have the interviews for the young people. But the, the other role of these panel members is now to select specialist reviewers around the world, anybody in the world. We don't have a restricted list of reviewers. So the panel members in step one, they look at the, the best applications and they now look for specialists in exactly this topic anywhere in the world. And one of the jobs of the agency is to now get these applications and through our IT systems, contact these specialists anywhere in the world, the United States or Europe or Japan or Canada, and ask for detailed reviews. And so we have a gap of about two to three months between our step one panel meetings and the step two interviews. And during that time, we're gathering these specialist reviews and we've contacted the applicants to tell them that you've been chosen for interview and so they can go clearing their calendar. We give them the dates. And this is really very unique to the ERC. For starting grants and consolidated grants, which are the younger people, we do interviews. And typically, we have 800, 900 interviews per scheme. So it's a very, very big um, endeavor. We end up interviewing 1,800 people. We bring them to Brussels from all over the world. It doesn't matter where they are at time of application. So the top third are brought for interviews. And we are really probably the only scheme, at least that I know of, in the world that's interviewing people at this level. But in front of them, the panel members also have the external reviews. So typically, in step two, during the interviews, we have about four reviews from panel members and several up to four or five reviews from specialists around the world. 
So many of our applications have end up having eight or nine reviews, and then you have the interview themselves. The interview is considered important, is to see the PI, to make sure the ideas are of the PI. So these applicants are brought to Brussels in the starting and consolidator and interviewed one by one. And from there, of the people who are brought to Brussels, about a third or a half finally get the award. So what we're trying to do the best we can is get the applicants to realize how rigorously we look at the proposals and by them coming to the panels and getting questions by the reviewers, they can see that the reviewers have read their proposals and have understood them. So part of the, 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 our purpose is to give this image that their, their, their ideas are really being appreciated. And so in the end, out of 3,000 applicants in a call, we will fund about 300, so it's about 10 to 1. Once those are selected, we send them a letter and they get a grant. Those grants are typically for five years. As I said, they get a large amount of money, especially for, for um, young people, to get, say, 1.5 million euros at, a, at that um, level of their career is a generous grant. And they have a lot of freedom of what to do with it later. The idea is to fund their ideas, their dreams. It's what we call frontier research. Of course, one wants to encourage everyone to apply. One should just give it a try. We all need grants anyway, and these are both prestigious as well as huge. So they provide a lot of money, they provide a lot of prestige. It's a lot of work to write such a grant, but I think everybody who's written big, difficult grants agrees that the grant writing itself is also worthwhile. So. One should just go for it. And the money that each panel gets is proportional to the number of grants that come in. So it's not even as, one, as if one somehow reduces one's chances by having people, many people apply. It's just a good thing. People should be brave and apply. They should do their very, very, very best, though, to make it an excellent grant, well-written, well-thought-through. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care 
hair and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.